Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight, we have Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello. We also have freelance writer, Fraser Brown. Hello. And we also welcome back our friend, PC Gaming Capo Regime, <laughs> at Gamesbeat, Rowan Kaiser. Barrett co-founder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, so tonight's episode, you'll actually have to listen to a little, uh, scratch pad next to you so you can write down the numbers for the verified truths that, uh, <laughs> Rome will be dropping. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about Playdex adaptation of Lords of Waterdeep, the D and D themed worker placement game from Wizards of the Coast designed by Peter Lee and Rodney Thompson. Uh, and we're actually going to be playing a game as we record right now, because sometimes we're too high concept for our own good and late at night, the last time we played, somebody said, wouldn't it be funny if we recorded the next show over a game of Lords of Waterdeep? So here we all are. And apologies for in, adva- in advance for when this, when this inevitably goes wrong. Uh, so, you know, as we get into this, uh, I'm curious, who here had played much of the, much of the board game and, and, and how into it did you, did you get I played one game like five years ago or something. <laughs> okay. I've played maybe five or six games. And Rowan, you were a total novice? Yes. Totally new. Yeah. Came in, um, <laughs> savant, just utter wreckage in my wake. Yeah. <laughs> he's insufferable, is what he's saying. God, <laughs> you win a couple games out of blind, stupid luck. And it's not luck. I have a plan. The plan is yeah, very okay. simple. We could talk about it, but well, maybe once we're deeper in this game and I've already succeeded at it. <laughs> this wow. is going to be a long is, evening. We have a fun show. <laughs> fun show for everybody. Um, I played the game quite a bit because, like, yeah, a few years ago, this was kind of the, uh, you know, the, the game of the season, as it were. You know, a year or yeah. so ago, the game that everyone was playing was like... Uh, you know, risk legacy, uh, not risk legacy, pandemic legacy. A few years ago, it was Lords of Waterdeep. And it's interesting that, like, Lords of Waterdeep became such a hit in some ways because it is a really, um, <laughs> it's, it's, what what you would call a euro game ass euro game uh, it is a very traditional worker placement game in some ways there's a lot of abstraction not i would argue maybe not a ton of actual use of that dungeons and dragons theme uh, it's all and, flavor really yeah and that seems to have been enough to allow lords of waterdeep to sort of become a breakout hit uh for people who hadn't necessarily gotten in to games like uh you know Agricola, Caverna, uh stuff like that. This was a very divisive game, as I recall, a few years ago. There were some people who really loved it, who really got into, you know, the theme and the limited spaces and the uh variety and scorekeeping at the end. Uh, for people who don't know you have who aren't familiar with the game, each player randomly draws a character and that character determines which quests are worth how much. Uh, and the scorekeeping at the end. Um, some people liked that, some people didn't. Uh, people who didn't like the game saw it as, you know, a very dull worker placement game with minimal interaction uh, between the players. Uh, it's very easy to, you know, just zone out and wait till it's your turn to just be focused on what you're doing and not really look at the board. Um, 
There are a couple of expansions, which have also received quite a bit of debate. Um, so when it came out, this was the kind of game that people either really, really loved, and most people I know really got into it. But there was you know, a strong minority of people who saw this as a very dull worker placement game. Did you experience that, Rob? Did you run into that in your community? So, no, I think my my there's probably a little more groupthink at work in the people I was I was playing with. Uh, if if anything, maybe it was. I guess I would say it was the sort of, the critiques you presented a moment ago weren't necessarily framed as critiques when mm-hmm. the game first appeared. Like there was a little snobbery, right, from people yeah. who were sort of your more traditional. Uh, you know, serious board game aficionados, uh, stuff like that. But it wasn't necessarily like the, sort of the view of Waterdeep was that it was mostly harmless, right? That it was <laughs> it was cool if you hadn't seen a lot of games like this before, uh, but definitely wasn't anything to set the world on fire. But beyond that, the, the handful of people there, I'm, I'm really talking like you know, in, in the extended group of people that uh. You know the, the RabbitCon crew, as it were. There are probably only three or four people who fit that mold. Everyone else was kind of tickled pink uh, by this, uh, you know, D and D worker placement game. And I, I think the other reason for that, though, and it's one of the reasons that we had the bright idea to try and record a show while actually playing it, is that Waterdeep is very good at being a social worker placement game like i remember troy the only game i think we played together that i saw you play of this was uh at pax east years ago where julian had rented out a suite at a hotel and the game took about six hours i want to say because everyone just kept like like yeah drinking and like working the room and chatting and somehow nobody was bothered by that well one like maybe a couple people were bothered but everyone else was just cool with it being something that existed to gather people around a table, but that nobody needed to pay too much attention to, which actually I think is maybe an underserved niche in in board games. (laughs) It is not what you're really looking for with a PC game, though. Uh, I don't think that really works as well when either you're playing against the computer or when the people you're playing with are, like, separated by oceans. and you're not all around one table. Uh, and so instead of having the distraction of drinking and joking around and things like that, when someone else is taking a turn off and it is just staring at this screen and this hideous UI and becoming frustrated with the bizarre noises that are apparently meant to be roosters and hawks or maybe griffins and the townspeople of Waterdeep, uh, which it's, it's a noise that has consumed my nightmares for the last few days. I can't get these horrible sound effects out of my head. Uh, hopefully our recording doesn't pick any of them up because it might scare people. <laughs> or hopefully it does, so that they know. <laughs> so the the other thing I think that might be working against this adaptation a little bit, and I was talking about this a little bit with some people on, on Twitter today, is that... This is a pretty much a PC version of a uh, mobile adaptation that already existed. And so it kind of has a claustrophobic presentation. And that interacts in some 
I don't. I don't know. I don't. We're, 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 I wanted to leave the discussion for the expansions off a little bit, but we're sort of touching on it now. Waterdeep expanded quite a bit from what it was originally, uh, and, in, and a really critical, uh, important new mechanic was introduced to this game uh, later: corruption. And so, what what started out as a as a pretty tidy worker placement game expanded into something that like you know, multiple sideboards, an entirely new mechanic. And that's all kind of crammed into uh, the display here on, on the PC version. And it's not, it's not bad. It's, it's, it's perfectly playable. But I kind of think something a good digital edition needs to do is kind of, I think, unfold or unpack what the action of the game is and, and how it's all working and, and sort of like facilitate you sort of browsing around the way the game is working as you wait on other people's turns or play your own. And I'm not really sure this game does any of that, but then again, I've played a bunch of Waterdeep. Like I'm curious what newcomers uh, to, to the game thought. Um, I mean, I guess that's me. So I thought that like, there are some interface quirks that I'm not super happy with, like the lack of notifications for whose turn it is, especially when it's your turn. Uh, it just kind of says, assign an agent, a tiny font at the top of the screen, instead of, you know, playing a noise or flashing a your turn button. Um, and there are a few things where, like, you have to press this green button on the bottom right that are, like, next thing, instead of it sort of being obvious i guess yeah uh, but i it can be a little busy and there are some things that i'm confused by but it's not the presentation itself that i found confusing it's you know how some of the inter the mechanics interact and uh i think once you play a few turns it all it all fairly well makes sense except for exactly how the scoring might work at the end but uh well have you played many worker placement games, Rowan? I mean, you're probably the least board gamey person at this table. Um, I've played a couple, I think. Uh, God, I can't remember the game. It's like Cathedral or something. It's a medieval building game. Oh, you know, uh, Carcassonne? No. Okay. Um, Whatever, I, not a huge amount, but I, I did not feel uncomfortable with this once I figured out what it was going for. Um, it's it, the the details were like what little icons meant, as opposed to whether the things that I would be placing stuff on were actually relevant to the icons. So, the way this all kind of works is that we we are situated as the lords of Waterdeep, uh, where. So there's a set of quests. There's a there's a quest deck that's dealt out to each of us, and the way you fulfill these these quests, which are all deliciously D and D themed, such as uh, I'm looking at one that's currently available to draw right now, uncovered drow plot, uh, and uh, there's a little bit of flavor text. The streets of Skullport are lined with lost secrets. Uh, th this is never going to matter. What does matter is on on the card. In order to complete this quest and get the 18 victory points associated with it, you need to present one white cube, uh, which represents like clerics, uh, five orange cubes, which represent warriors, and then two black cubes, which represent rogues, as well as uh, 
five gold pieces. And the way you acquire that stuff is by taking it off these, uh, you know, work sites on the board that generate those resources. Um, and this is all, you know, this is very familiar to a, a lot of Euro games where, where it is about collecting resources and then spending, spending them on cool stuff. Um, the thing that, I don't know, like, I've always sort of suspected one of the reasons this game is so popular is because um, it's taking all these sort of dry ideas and the, these, these dry sort of, like, resource payments and investing them with a little bit of flavor that people find really appealing, right? You're not just, you're not just collecting, you know, like if this were, if this were a traditional Euro game, we'd all be farmers, right? It'd be turning in like, <laughs> you know, turn in two pieces of grain, two, two root vegetables and, uh, you know, gold piece. And then you get, I don't know, like a plow or something like that. That's how this would work. But here, oh no, you're not doing anything boring like that. You're not playing. So this is no like, you know, nerd garbage. Uh, this is this, <laughs> this is, is a D and D adventure nerd article. Yeah, uh, you're, you're you're sort of summoning your your parties and sending them out there to fulfill these quests, uh, whether or not it actually feels that way at all. The the thing that you notice first is like, okay, I need to have these these colors, um, and I use these colors to do the quests. And the orange and the black colors are you need more of but they're easier to get and then you look and they're oh those are fighters and rogues that makes sense well, that those are easier to get than the clerics and the mages the clerics and the mages sort of come the deeper you get into the game and it's it's just like a you know instant kind of i get what you're going for here so i i think that there is a strength to that that is um it's subtle but it's definitely it's not like you say, I feel like a Lord of Waterdeep playing this game, but it is a, I understand why this game is trying to, like, push me in the directions it's trying to push me, and that does make it a little bit easier to grab onto. See, right now, an example of why sometimes I get frustrated with it happens, because when other people are playing their turns, all of their movements happen at the end, once they've clicked end turn. Like, they see it on their screen happening in real time, but the rest of us have to wait for the turn to be over. And then you just see cards flying everywhere and tokens moving around. Doesn't that feel magical? Are yeah, you, like, then are I'm you like, beholding? What? No, because right now, I'm looking at my inventory of agents, and I'm like, wait a second, did someone take two of my agents? Or whatever, not agents, sorry, uh, heroes. So, like, I used Field of Triumph, which is uh, allows you to take two uh, of the warrior cubes um, because I'm working towards a quest, because that's what you do. You, you put agents in these little areas like the Grinning Lion Tavern or the Plinth, and you get the corresponding heroes that add, are added to your pool that can then be spent on the quest. And I'm noticing that I don't have them anymore, and I'm pretty sure I didn't spend them, but I... I'm second-guessing myself because I didn't see what people were doing. So, I so it's just so wait. easy to get lost. Yeah. Someone used an intrigue card that took away yeah. stuff, and they probably exactly. did it against you because yeah. um, but I'm they're just, just I, cruel, Fraser. They're I'm just staring cruel. at the screen, but I didn't notice it. Uh, I don't mind that that can happen. I think it's like, actually, I think this game needs more interactions between players, uh, not fewer. But I'd like to know when these things have happened, and it's more 
obvious on the screen when someone has acted against you. Uh, and it's sometimes you've got to actually do something. So like when someone plays an intrigue card, it might give them two warriors, but then everyone else gets to choose or pick up a warrior as well. And so you actually have to kind of do that yourself. You have to click a button. But a lot of the time things happen without me really realizing what's going on. And that just makes it a bit boring because I'm not only lost, I'm not really getting a clear picture of what's happening in everyone else's uh, experience. I'm, I'm not seeing what they're doing and thus I'm not really able to plan as easily as I otherwise might if I could, if it just slowed down just a second so I could read something. It, this definitely feels like a game that like feels good to play uh, as a board game. Like I, I can see the idea of taking these little cubes and coins and stuff being a, a, a fun interactive part of it at a level that um, the the person who, or company or whatever that made this port is, also did Twilight Struggle, but that's a 1v1 game. And it doesn't feel as necessary to like have that tactile feeling. Um, whereas I feel like something is somewhat lost in not having that here. Well, so uh, I was going to say, so Twilight Struggle is an interesting one as well, because I would also say the thing that Twilight Struggle has going for it is that every card in Twilight Struggle, in addition to being a, a 1v1 game, every card in Twilight Struggle is kind of dual use, right? It's either for uh, the NATO alliance or it's for the Warsaw Pact. Um, and where this where this gets interesting is that Every card that your opponent plays is probably going to be relevant to you in, in some way. Like, So it's not like other people are just taking their turn and then effects happen and you don't really have to tune in. Like Every single thing that happens in Twilight Struggle, both players kind of have... Like, in most cases, each player has to engage with what's on that card and how it works according to the game's rules. And that, I think, takes some of the pressure off what Playdeck had to do in adapting it, uh, because to faithfully adapt it, you still had to retain that structure, which allows people to, you know, they're forced to understand each aspect of how the game is working and how these, how these decks are composed. Um, here, because you could sort of argue this is a, in some ways, sort of your classic multiplayer solitaire worker placement game, it's very easy for an adaptation while it's being helpful uh, to so hey, somebody give me a mandatory quest. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's your turn, Rob. Come on. Uh, yeah, so Get it's very it. easy as the game is being helpful about like adjudicating everything that's happening according to the rules. It doesn't need you for any of that. Not the way Twilight Struggle does. You can just sit there. The game will figure this all out for you. Uh, and I think that does sort of add a hurdle. I don't know if it's one that is easy for a good board game adaptation to ever solve. Yeah, this this definitely feels like a game that does not require full attention to be paid to everything. And because it doesn't require that, um, it can be easy to miss things that might be important. And I don't know if you want to talk about the expansions at all, but we played one game with the expansions on and one game with the Corruption expansion off, and I felt like the Corruption expansion did a good job of keeping me more focused on what everyone was doing as opposed to just what I was doing. Um, 
so I think this might be something that's sort of in the game itself that uh, the designers have tried, kind of tried to work on. And I think what this game really needs, I mean, Fraser mentioned, you know, more interaction, you know, more attacks, more ways of, like, for example, you just got a mandatory quest, Rob, for people who don't know the game, a mandatory quest is given to you by another player. It means you have, it's a small quest, does not a heavy burden, but you have to complete it before you can go complete any of your other quests. Uh, it would be interesting if there was a way to defend against things like that. Could there be defense cards, for example, against attacks or defense options, in counter intrigues? Uh, other games have that sort of thing, and I think they're pretty cool. Um, but other ways to you know promote people getting into the game and watching what people are doing and caring about what they're playing and paying attention to what their players and what cubes they have. I mean, in this game, I can only tell what cubes people have by clicking on them. Um, and I very rarely have to do that. Around the table, I would see who has the most fighters, who has the most rogues, and from there I could probably guess what quests they're most interested in. Fine. But it usually does not affect me all that much unless I have to, say, steal a mage from somebody. Oh, who's got a mage? Who has the fewest mages? Um, that's when what people have becomes important to me. This is a solitaire game you play with friends uh, in very many ways. Uh, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, I think that's uh, something endemic to the worker placement system. Um, you know, there are limited spaces to work with. Um, it, it's not a, the the AI players aren't bad. They're just as frustrating at stealing all the good shit that your real life friends are. Um, but it's what you lose with the AI versus players. It's just you know conversation. Um, more than anything else, the game experience really isn't all that different, which I find kind of remarkable. It's kind of it's, it for, you know, a board game out of tape petition for a game that is you know, quite, generally is a relatively relaxed, let's hang out and talk about some stuff type of game. Fraser takes the lead. We have to oh, watch yeah. out for him this time. The rarely seen <laughs> Fraser Brown, Lords hey. of Waterdeep lead. Now, I would like to point out that for almost all of the last game, I was in the lead until the scoring portion. No, wait, <laughs> what, what, game did, what game were you playing? God damn it. What game it's were you true. Playing? I, there the, were, I there were the highest victory a few part, turns where he did. Part, but, okay, sure. Uh, it, was not, it was not constant at any level. Yeah, it was pretty constant. That's not how I remember it. I was, that's, I was that's not how I remember it, Fraser. Number one or number two. This is, uh, no, that's like, different. You're like you're like saying, oh, I, I was leading half that race, and like it's actually like an F one race where like you know everyone pits and like for a lap or two, like McLaren are leading the race. Well, can you not just give me this one? You're, you're I'm right. the man who actually got defeated by the AI in the tutorial. <laughs> So you 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 I, are you are spotting about three hundred yellow points uh, <laughs> to to each of us here today. Um, <laughs> But we love you, Fraser. You're 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 a good boy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're very proud of you. <laughs> that makes me feel so good. <laughs> All right, so I just uh, I just made a move. So one of the things the Skullport expansion added is a set of new buildings, uh, but also the corruption track. And this is this is where it gets interesting. This is this is a game that kind of radically changed. Uh, between release and then post-expansion. And to this day, I still don't know what I really think of it. Um, 
it's almost easier to talk about what corruption adds because then like you have to imagine what the game is like without it. So the Skullport expansion adds these adds these buildings uh, that have interesting effects and and give you some uh, novel actions that you can take. But for each of those actions you take, there's also a little blue skull marker uh, that is uh, that represents a corruption point. Now, corruption point is kind of a uh, like collective punishment thing in Lords of Waterdeep. There's a there's a corruption track with um let's see, it looks like nine there's nine spaces on the corruption track. And everyone is drawing from that from that pool collectively. So on each space there's three skulls. So if nobody if if nobody in the entire game draws a skull, draws a corruption point, and only one player ends up getting one, uh then they're, they will only have drawn it from the, the first corruption track space, uh, which means that, that that skull will be worth negative one points uh, during the scoring phase. No big deal. But if everyone just kind of like just goes nuts on the corruption track uh, and just like dines at like the slaver's market buffet uh, every turn, everyone is going to be drawing from that corruption track, which means that each corruption token... Uh, gets a multiple a multiplier on it. So if the corruption track is advanced up to the negative six space and you're sitting there with three corruption points, uh, that is negative 18 points during the scoring phase. And so there's kind of this, um, you know, if, if you were the only person utilizing corruption, it would be, it'd be pretty useful to, to do some of this stuff. But as the game advances, uh, it gets a little riskier. The other thing that we discovered in our first game is that if at any point you go and try to draw a corruption token off the corruption track and there are none left, it's an instant loss of 10 points. And I kind of felt like with this expansion, Lords of Waterdeep really to a degree becomes a game about corruption. Uh, and, and the really wild thing about this is none of this existed before this expansion. Before this expansion... It's really just a competitive uh, quest scoring game uh, with, with one key wrinkle. Everyone has a hidden Lord card that has a special effect uh, for the scoring phase uh, that, that, no, that other players don't get to see. But they can guess at it uh, if, they've, if they've played a few times. So there is one like secret scoring aspect uh, to this that's sort of, that was a wild card from the start. But beyond that, it, was prob- it, it probably came down to who did the most quests. Now with corruption, it, it it changes quite a bit. I would say. Yeah, I think the thing that corruption adds is kind of a balance between do I go for the biggest thing possible versus do I play carefully, and uh, I think that's something that a lot of games need. They need they need a pushback on people who are trying to accelerate, and uh, this is true in. You know, a game like Civilization doesn't have that sort of pushback. A game like Paradox Games does, and I find myself leaning more towards games that do have that kind of pushback. So I definitely thought the corruption added something that was uh, pretty necessary uh, to at least the couple games that I've played. The <laughs> other thing that it does is that um, a lot of the time when you when you activate a card or a quest or whatever, you get the option to put down um, certain whatever you're 
whatever you got from that will give you like two fighters to put down on various buildings that the next person to go to that building picks up a fighter and when you're doing that with uh um the normal gameplay mechanics uh you want to put it on something that either you are the only person who's going to be able to use that or something that you don't think that a person will actually take that and gain a huge advantage from. Um, but when you get the corruption skulls to put down, you can lay them as traps and be like, I know that people are going to need these fighters. I'm going to put this on the Field of Triumph, which gives people two fighters and basically turn this into a gamble and i think that adds a, a level of kind of negative interaction that the game only partially has with mandatory quests and a few intrigue cards and i think that's a a, a pretty big benefit and so much comes down to you know the luck of the draw in this game for example on our board right now there's a building that no one's built yet the secret shrine where you can turn in your corruption and return for a a, 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 a priest uh, token, a white cube. And white cubes are relatively rare. These clerics aren't, you know, always that common. They're probably, them and mages are the hardest to come by. So I haven't seen that building before. That's a really good building, and that's a good way to get rid of your corruption, and you get a really good prize in return for it. Now, that card may not come up, um, but in a game with a lot of corruption that sort of thing would be a nice thing to fight over. Uh, you can see everybody moving for that at the very beginning, um, which can allow you to play out your moves a little bit better if you haven't been taking corruption, knowing that your corrupt friends will have to go there first to purify themselves. Um, and this luck of the draw manifests itself throughout the game in a lot of different ways. Uh, uh, in the game, the last game we played, I had to get... Um, your generally most of the characters you play, there are two types of quests that you get bonuses for, for example, either warfare and commerce, or commerce and piety, or arcana and skullduggery, just combinations of these. And you can go, and with four quests turned up at every time, every turn, you can go a long time and not see a quest that's going to give you a bonus. Like, uh, if I had, right now on our board, there's one skullduggery, two commerce, and one warfare. If I got bonuses for arcana, or piety quests, I would have to either take one of those or wait for someone else to take it um, and hope that what comes up is something that I can use will give me a bonus. So this luck is actually quite an important part of the game. And I think the corruption mechanic builds into that because there are intrigues and there are buildings and there are quests that will affect corruption in a host of different ways. Um, I've been doing some reading online, and there was a post I saw on Board Game Geek where someone was complaining that corruption was too easy to get rid of. And I was thinking, what the hell game was this guy playing? Um, <laughs> and they explained that this is just, he got his draws were just very, very lucky. Um, most of the time, pure corruption, I and mean, then when we played with it the first time, Mostly we don't exactly know what we were doing, so we kind of got hammered pretty bad with it. Um, but not everyone will. Uh, so the, the, I think corruption will be, the effect of corruption on your game will largely depend on the aggressiveness of your players, uh, the dickishness of your teammates, and uh, the luck of the draw in many ways, which, you know, makes for a varied game. And I think that's the big thing that Skullport added, is a little bit more variety into how the games play out. Um, 
I mean, I like Waterdeep, I think, as a great, relaxing little worker placement game. But I'm not going to say it's not predictable and that it doesn't follow the same rhythms because uh, it does uh, generally. You know, there's unless someone's really terrible like Fraser and gets very, very few <laughs> points you. in everything. Uh, there's going to be a two or three people uh, rushing for the end. A lot's going to come down to the bonuses at the end, which can come from a variety of places. There's a, how much gold do you have, which quests did you complete, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think Scoreport added a necessary uh, shakeup. Um, compared to the other expansion, Undermountain, which is really kind of underwhelming for Undermountain. It gives you, you know, quests and intrigues and more places to get those things, but it doesn't really shake the game up, I think, in any meaningful way. So, so I just found that corruption exacerbated a pre... What? I'm sorry. We're having a great show, great conversation. I'm into it. I'm really curious where the hell my uh, cubes went. Uh, I assume I, someone. That's exactly what happened I to went me in, as I, well. Yeah, but like it happened. It must have happened twice because I had like ten gold. I should have had four warriors and two rogues. And my turn came up against again. I uh, had six gold and no rogues and only two <laughs> warriors. Uh, so did like multiple people less? Like I'm not angry. I'm not. I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm not angry. Like I, like I'm not going to hulk out at the table. I'm just curious. Just asking questions here. Did one person or multiple people target me last turn? If that was you, raise your hand. <laughs> I'd never target you, Rob. We're buds. I, I, I do think that if there is a replay button on this game, I would like to see it because someone God, got a mandatory quest on me and I'm not sure exactly who. <laughs> see, this that really was does. Me. That was 100% me. I will okay. cap to that right now. Okay, if I were to perhaps get a mandatory quest, I will keep that in mind. But someone, I do think that a replay someone gave button... Me, someone gave you mandatory quests? Two of them? Uh, I, I gave, Troy, you I gave one. you a mandatory quest as well. I've I gave you one because you were in the lead, Troy. This is why I suck at this game, because I'm actually nice. <laughs> I'm not a horrible person. We have, the, we have the cards. What else are we supposed to do with them? <laughs> but did somebody do an attack against me last round? That's, uh, that's all I want to know. Obviously this did happen. I, I did not. I, I did not I have did an not. attack entry card. I did. I have nothing. I've got like okay. one few. Okay. It wasn't me. I just went, so it wasn't me. No, the last turn, not this one. All right. I don't. I have no idea. It wasn't me though. I haven't used any attack cards or intrigue cards or anything like that. Yeah, I think you and me were the only people to use Waterdeep Harbor there, Rob. Right. So it wasn't you. It wasn't me. <laughs> I gave Troy a mandatory quest with my thing. Uh. Then. Why the hell were we not recording this game? I'm like, because <laughs> honestly, because at that point then Slaver's Market gave me a corruption token and none of the uh, little, uh, whatever you call them, the little cubes. Uh, you, have, <laughs> the, you, have, you have two fighters and two rogues. Yeah, that's because I had to go to the Grinning Lion Tavern, um, but I should have a lot more. Uh, and you played a quest that gets rid of four gold and two rogues and two fighters. I feel like that might be why you're missing four gold, two rogues, and two fighters. He played that a while ago, though. I think he played it last turn. Who can say? But I think we might have hit on it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, is it a problem that this game has like predictable yeah, rhythms? There's 
Well, see, I feel that the issue with corruption is that it exacerbates a pre-existing problem that's in the base game in that as a round progresses, so every round is split up into different turns where each player gets to assign one of their agents from their pool and either play cards or pick stuff up. Um, And then it moves on to the next person. And as each round progresses, there are fewer and fewer options. And as our pool of agents expands, this gets even worse, to the point where in the last turn of a round, you might just not be able to do anything useful. You just have to burn an agent because if there's corruption on one, it might actually cost you the game at this point. If there's agents everywhere else, then you have no other choices. So it just gets more and more dull as the game continues. I don't Uh, find that it hmm. actually increases tension I just feel like my options become more limited, but not more meaningful. Okay, so first of all, you didn't understand how the corruption scoring worked when we were playing with corruption the first time? No, none of us did. We all got I it did. wrong. Like, by the end, I'm going a really exciting uh, game journal captured sucking at a game. <laughs> this is, Read about this it is... on Twitter.com. Oh, this wait, is it's not the case. People, people know. Uh, you had never played the game before, right? I had you never didn't played know. the game before, and it was very clear to me Neither, that those, no, negative nine, those negative nine buttons or things on the corruption track <laughs> said that you would lose negative nine points for that each corruption. That wasn't where the confusion was. That wasn't that, conf- what, however, that's what was making. That's what was making the corruption decisions at the end of the game have more impact for me, because, like... I realized I had five or six corruption, most of anybody, and there are a bunch of intrigue cards that hit the person with the most corruption as well. Um, So I was trying to not be first, and I was trying to not use those corruption things, but they were like the only things that were left that actually did anything good. So I had to constantly throughout the entire endgame of that, where I was trying to maintain a lead, decide... Will this corruption actually damage me significantly more than doing nothing, essentially? And in the last round, I decided that it didn't because I could get one quest that like gave me 15 points. The corruption would give me negative 9 points, so that's a 6-point bonus. That's worth it. But for the entire like last 3-4 turns, which is half the game, I was basically sitting on a knife edge of, do I gamble on this or not? And I think that... That was significantly more interesting than the other option from the second game we played, where it was, okay, what is the least non-useful thing I can possibly do with my last token in this round? Well, see, I, I think that the game without corruption has just has a lot of the same problems. It's not that corruption doesn't make it more interesting. It's that corruption it changes just, where the pinch is. Yeah, and I just hate that it makes me focus on something that's not actually fun. Uh, and I, it's not even that I do, I think that it creates tension. It does just wow, Troy. stop me from being able to really do anything. And I think what really bugs me is that each turn is, it's really hard to make any sort of big moves. You have to really save up to do these big moves. So each 
individual turn is actually quite dull. You're not really doing a huge amount. You're spending a lot more time waiting for other players' turns to finish, for you to build up your pool of heroes, and then you do something interesting. And maybe that happens a few times a game. But given how even the PC version this takes quite a long time to play, that's just not enough interesting moments for a, like a two-hour period. I, I think this is a pretty valid argument uh, the, that there aren't enough interesting choices, especially in the early game. Like, I got, I got kind of lucky in that I got a quest that would let me play any quest that was on the board. Normally there are four things that you can see, and you take, take there are options to take one of them and then play them when you get the chance. I had those as any option I could use because I lucked out, as Troy was talking about earlier, with a very specific uh, quest option. Um, and that playing that early in the game was like, the thing that I had to do in order to compete in that game, I did it, and that helped me win the game. That was a piece of luck that I had, a card that was fairly interesting. Otherwise, it's just sort of build your infrastructure via the most obvious path for the first three or four turns. And yeah, that's not a great thing. I, can't feel, I feel like I'd, I'd have much more fun if I was able to chart out what I wanted to do and have like an, a real plan. We've joked around about having plans and having these objectives, but really you're just reacting to the luck of the draw a lot of the time. And that's fine. That happens in, in a lot of other games as well. But there's very little outside of that to draw you back in. So my mind just starts drifting and I just stare at this, this what is quite a pretty map of Waterdeep covered by so many ugly icons and UI elements. But I, it makes it even harder to actually compete because I sort of just tune out. <laughs> well, and that's really, a, that's a major problem. If it can I'm not necessarily sure this is, but I, I wouldn't say this is unique to Waterdeep. Like, I think it's kind no, of a, uh, it, it's a danger with these uh, worker placement or... Um, what would you call Seven Wonders? Uh, deck, that's kind of a deck builder. That's the one, I Rob. In some ways, I, that's the one I played. Okay, um, but but these sort of the, I guess you know the the games that sort of lend themselves to this multiplayer solitaire. There's there is a way you like. I should probably be spending a lot more time looking at what everyone has in their quest deck because you can see what people have drawn since that's public information. Uh, you can. Uh, you know, see what quests they've completed uh, in in some cases, um, and so theoretically, you should be like anticipating and reading intention about what people are going to be doing. But I actually don't know many people who play play these sorts of games like that. Uh, most people, I think, do sort of adopt a pretty laid back, like, yeah, hey, let's see, you know, let's see how it all comes together. And I think that does make it so that you have a little bit of that that feeling of passivity that Fraser's talking about. I think that works better as well when you are at a table uh, opposed to playing on your PC. 
this is an interface thing like the the physical cards the physical piles of units the physical piles of gold are things that you would notice in front of you where here they are numbers that you have to click on a different thing to actually see um so that so that is an issue with trying to you know figure out uh which which person you're trying to screw over here <laughs> yeah, i think and certainly these sorts of sorry try go ahead so I think it's of the nature of worker placement games like this that, I mean, we're talking about, you know, can you can you compete? Can you keep up? There's, these are the types of games that have, you know, one great winning play. It's not like you can strategize and plan and come with this cunning reversal at the end that puts you on the top. It comes down to, do you have, were you able to get a big enough quest and enough things to fill it? It wasn't, you know, some great plan you put together. It was please don't take the mage, please don't take the mage, please don't take the mage. Woohoo, I can take the mage now, and I can finish this thing. Um, so Is it's it not... even a strategy game then? No, well, I you know, yeah, well, I feel like it's maybe not. Not where it counts are, all, anyway. All games, all games are strategy games. <laughs> but you've even just said there's no yeah. real strategy to it. <laughs> I mean, there's, not, there's no real long-term plan. I mean, there's certainly short-term planning. There is, you know... Yeah, there like, is a little what, bit. I mean, what, what, what buildings do I want to build? Uh, that's, sure. you know... That there's some there's certainly a strategy in it. Who just gave me another goddamn mandatory quest? That would Why be me I, for stealing your fucking building. Why do quest. I have three mandatory quests? These are no good Because to you me. stole wow. my building. I didn't steal it, I liberated it from your Try assume that on some level you still miss freelancing. And so uh, I think we're all just working together to <laughs> give you that feeling <laughs> of just working that hustle. Dicks. Uh, and this game's actually very accurate to freelancing because the rewards are paltry. Uh, <laughs> you should oh. do long-term planning, but there's no actual reason to, so you just wobble yeah. along. One of those dickish quests is now gone, you bastards. Um, so, I mean, it's, it is a game that has you know some strategy and something, but it's not like you can have some cunning reversal that upsets the board that you came to through your own skill of understanding the play of the board, of understanding the situation and the intuition of your opponents. Um, you can't read people, really, because uh, everything is public information uh, for the most part. So it's... So it is, you know, a game that's it, it's a little bit like poker, that there's so much luck involved, but also not at all like poker because it's not like I, I can bluff you out of anything. It's not like I can use my superior mental powers to make you think that, aha, I don't mind these mandatory quests at all. Please give me more of them. Um, it, so it is, it is kind of poker like, except that you don't have the option for like huge raises. So it'd be like a poker where, uh, um, I'm totally forgetting the word, but with set raises that you have um, instead of uh, um, no limit, which is what we're most used to, but limit based. We're waiting for I, the. I the we're, we're, we're waiting for the Lords of Waterdeep, the, the the big blind assassin expansion. <laughs> I mean, I, I tend to think that being able to bet on what you're able to do is a thing that would make a lot of tabletop games more interesting i think but that's i don't a think it's much wider conversation water deep that i've been playing a lot of netrunner lately um and completely different types of games obviously but there's just so many exciting moments in a game 
of Netrunner, even a pretty relaxed, not particularly competitive game where you're just having a laugh. There's a lot of intensity and a lot of these elaborate plans. You make these big moves so often when you're assaulting uh, another player or defending uh, against one. And it, it really feels very engaging. And this isn't really going for that feel, but it's like I'm kind of coming down from, from this much more exciting game. And I just, I get bored of this in about five minutes. <laughs> Maybe I just don't really have the patience for it. So you've just been like, so you don't like this game. us? Yeah, that's, that's like I mean that's yeah. the thing, right? This is like the third or fourth time we played this week. So I'm curious, like, yeah, I don't like this game at all. <laughs> Did I not make that clear when we played before? Uh, yeah, I do not enjoy Lords of Waterdeep in the slightest. I find I think that the kind of conceit and I think the the D and D flavor is really cool. And on paper, I like. A few of the ideas and even the the corruption wrinkle which i've moaned about i think actually could be interesting in a game that i enjoy but i i don't find any real draw to this uh I, and again i'm talking specifically about the pc version because i do think that there is a massive gulf between playing on your pc online and, and playing on a table, you know, around your mates, where you've got... It's just that the actual... Pro and having, and I think Rowan mentioned this before, having all of these physical pieces as well helps a lot. It makes it easier to keep track of things, but it also, I just think, makes it more visually interesting. So, yeah, I, there's very little that I like about this in practice. Have you done many, like, are there worker placement games out there that you do enjoy? Yeah, it's not typically my my go-to tabletop game uh, or type of game. I, I don't have any fundamental problems with them, and I have enjoyed quite a few games of them, but I've never actually gone out and bought one myself. I've played with friends, but I've never felt inspired because I don't think I'd get a huge amount of use out of them. I think maybe if I wanted to introduce tabletop gaming to to someone then a worker placement game is quite a relaxed way to do it. But I've got much cooler games that I could use to introduce them. I have a friend who'd never played a single tabletop game in his life, and the first game I introduced him to was Star Wars Armada, which is a very, very complicated game. And he loved it, and just chucking him in the deep end uh, worked out. I actually think he would have probably gotten quite bored of a worker placement game. But the actual tabletop variants, I'm... I'm I'm generally fine with they're just not my uh they're not the sort of thing that I would purchase and and suggest that we would play. So I uh I disagree. But Obviously. it's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Um I guess I, I think one of the reasons games like this exist is because they are they are a way for they they seat several people right and let them play a game together. I'm not sure this is. Uh, I'm thinking probably the last game I I, I really got into that's maybe a, 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 sort of in this vein or adjacent to it is uh, Scythe, 
Uh, and that's much more interactive, where you're sort of like paying much closer attention to what your opponents are doing. Uh, where they are on the board matters a great deal. Uh, you have to worry because there there is at least a little bit of like what you call uh, PvP or direct combat confrontation, that kind of stuff. Uh, that, that's in that game. That's kind of absent from this one, and so it's easy to sort of feel like you're playing this in a little bit of a vacuum, uh, which I think is probably in person one of the game's strengths, uh, but also one of its weaknesses just as a game that, that you'll want to revisit. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I think... I don't know. I, I think a, a worker placement game, to an extent, is also a little bit about... I think... Again, so like Seven Wonders, I think I've heard described as a uh, a game about like assembling a resource machine, and I think you have something a little bit similar here in that you're you're always sort of thinking about uh, how you're sort of building this bridge toward your next like quest completion and how different like different quests you have in your in your inventory in your in your hand uh, might sort of interlock and interact to let you have like uh, sort of synergistic effects. And I think that's kind of, you're, you're either someone who really enjoys that sort of uh, building a house of cards uh, angle to these games or, or you're not, but like, I've always kind of enjoyed that aspect of, of worker placement games and, and machine building games. Um, one of the, when I first asked about this, when the, the port was announced or, was imminently released uh, uh someone came to me and said yeah but only with the expansion and uh i thought after we played the first game that he meant the corruption expansion because that did so much obvious stuff but he actually came back later and said no he meant the the other one that primarily added quests and things because the quests added so much more depth and uh I'm not sure exactly which ones, but the things that make this game most interesting to me are the quests that actually add the um, kind of consistent benefits, right? So I, I played one earlier that every time I acquire a fighter of any on any of these, I get one more fighter. So, you know, the Field of Triumph now gives me three instead of two. And uh, I mentioned the first game that we played, the... The quest that let me place something off the top of the board, regardless of whether it had been taken or, um, and those things are the the aspect of building a machine. Um, I ended up accidentally building a piety machine because I got a thing where every time I took a piety quest, I got a free cleric, which lets you complete the piety quests. Uh, and, and that's the part of the game that I think makes it most engaging, but it's not always there. Uh, it depends on the quest you get from the luck of the draw. It depends on what you're able to choose. And it depends on if you can get any kind of synergy, which is not really something that uh, happens all the time. Whereas I recall Seven Wonders, there were definitely ways where you were creating these machines that synergized with one another. See, th this card that's popped us for us all to in interact with, it is, is one of the, the types of things I do like about Lords of Waterdeep, where it's uh, this this card, I think, is it you, Rob, that's yeah, played this? Yeah, I just this? played it. Yeah, it's yeah. Called, it's, so it's called Recruit Spies, and for Rob, it means that he can take two um, spy tokens from the supply and place them in his tavern, so he could use that uh, to, to 
uh, spend on quests, but it also gives up the rest of us an option to uh, add a spy to that and get three victory points, which is a small amount, but you could you could win the game with three victory points. Uh, but do we want to give up the, the spy is the question. If we have quite a few of them, we might actually be using them to to put towards a quest. But I do like, it's almost like a sort of forced cooperation. Uh, and it means that on Rob's turn, we're involved. It's something for me to do while I'm waiting, a, a decision for me to make. I think if there was actually a bit more of that, uh, that when you're taking your turn, you're engaging the, the other players, would just help this so, so much. Because I do think that actually that is just the biggest problem for me is I, I, I get quite bored of it. Uh, and if I was being drawn back in by these cards a little bit more often, then I think I'd, I'd have a much better time. And I certainly wouldn't just start looking on Twitter and, <laughs> and just trying to find a distraction. Fraser frantically Googling why the season of Game of Thrones was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm curious what you guys make of that. I mean, thinking of the last season of Game of Thrones, it was all right. <laughs> God, no, we're not talking about that again. <laughs> God, please, no. <laughs> it, I mean, it was a really good season if you have absolutely wow. zero expectations of quality. Of you have no self control. You have no self control, Rowan. <laughs> Um, no, this I've been watching the U.S. Open on the background on uh, most of the games we've been playing, and it's perfect for that. I get a little tennis, I look over when it's my turn. Uh, yeah, is that a problem? It could be if you are trying to pay full attention. It could be if Twitter is your option, because Twitter is not a consistent attention grabber. It's something that either grabs everything that you have or nothing at all but i follow you know, euro in so it's really interested all the time <laughs> I, I, I mean obviously but i do sleep the, um, the, 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 my one concern for having i mean i'm in favor of more interaction between players i think that's what makes a game really really good and it'd be nice to have that in a game like this which is a, you know got a good theme and the theme's tied you know loosely enough to work but uh loosely enough to be a simple game, but tightly enough to be comprehensible. But it's also a long game, especially with, as Rowan noted at the beginning, so few cues as to, you know, when it's your turn, when things are popping up. I mean, I don't understand why they have the advanced turn thing in the lower right instead of, you know, have you confirmed this turn? Pop the center makes a lot more sense. Um, and the more interactions means, you know, more time sitting around waiting. And again, that's already got a lot of waiting. Um, even if you're taking actions, that's great. But you also have to, you know, then make more decisions. And you got to have more calculations. And it's, you know, silly. I, I mean, I, I think we would have more interactions. But I do think it will make the game a lot longer than it already is. Lords of Waterdeep is not a short game. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's the same way. Like, the board game was not short either. Like... It's a game that always feels lighter than it actually is. I was never at a party where Lords of Waterdeep came out that people didn't express surprise at the end by how long they'd been playing that game because it never feels like it never feels like an evening long commitment the way like a War of the Ring feels like, right? Where you're it's like, because you're right, never doing it. Here's anything. what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're you're mostly getting shit housed on cheap wine and 
and it's and great for a, with your a party. Yeah, uh, but it, it's it's a little it's a little different in uh, in sort of the digital format. And another thing is that uh, Twilight Struggle, which you know came out a year or eighteen months ago or whatever, that had a similar sort of port, is kind of perfectly designed for um, asynchronous play. Yes. Whereas this, I cannot imagine trying to play asynchronous, <laughs> except God, maybe no. 1v1. Uh, but, yeah, there's, it would just be a nightmare to try to deal with all those cards, like the one that Rob just played. Uh, just not good. What did you just play, Rob? The one oh, I was no, just you, talking are you talking about, about the, the, the recruiting spies, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, already it feels like there's a long pause on that. Speaking of long pauses, uh, Troy, have you... Uh... Oh, see? Yeah. You didn't hit the green button? God damn it. I didn't it. hit the fucking green button. It's, it's, it's mashed by my mic. The fact that it's like triple confirm to end a move. Because <laughs> it's like, you, you first you have to like multiple times over the course of a turn, you have to confirm it, right? So like, okay, I'm really playing it here. All right. Here's your quest card. You see your quest card? Great. Confirm it. Cool. All right, now here's the entry card you get with that. All right, you happy? Cool. Done. Your turn is over. There's nothing more you can do. You can't, you can't undo or take this back either. And you still have to push that little button. Well, you uh, can which, undo it. That's the thing. So undoing is always not, an option to take Not when there's time. random effects, right? Oh, yeah, not when, not when something has already happened based on it. But I think that's why you have that in-turn thing is because... People can theoretically do that. All right. So speaking of uh, you know fun and cool effects, a little bit of interactivity, as it were. So I've been waiting. I was the starting player, and the person who goes to Castle Waterdeep uh, gets an intrigue card, but then they also get to be the starting player next turn. So. I've been sitting on a card in my intrigue hand for a while uh, called Preferential Treatment. Oh, you uh, bastard. Where I take <laughs> two gold from the supply and move it to my tavern. And then I take back the, uh, then I take the, starting, the starting player token. And Poor Troy try. just burned a move to take the starting player token. And that was my cue to finally play that card and take that, take that right back. Is he being bullied this evening, Troy? Are you feeling like you're being bullied? Troy is I'm the bully. I'm feeling oppressed. I'm feeling he oppressed. He stole my building. I want to. I want to emphasize that I have not done anything mean to anyone in this game, and thus I should win just for taking the moral high ground, like the good guy argument, the nice guy argument. I'm being very lovely to you, Troy. I hope you support me in all my endeavors. <laughs> Please like sure. and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're all dinks. <laughs> See, now we're all taking it really seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. Looking at cards. Well, this not podcast's almost we over. To, so. We have to... Oh, no, it's not, Troy. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to... All right, so what do you guys think of uh, the Hall of the Voice? What do you guys think of that one? <laughs> You guys, do you want to go to the Game of Thrones thing or not? Do we want to commit to this no, bit? We're not doing that bit. We are not yeah, doing please. it. please. <laughs> I don't think I could take it again. I think uh, one other thing 
It's a it's a perfectly functional port. It's nice. It's it's a good job. Uh, Playdex seem seem to really really have this down. I find the sound effects a bit curious. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> it's a really like weird. You know, hey, you know what? Maybe they're just trying to evoke like gold box era D and D games, <laughs> but like. There's weirdly chintzy sound effects uh, in this game, some of which just sound like your speakers are shorting. Uh, but that might actually be a trumpet uh, that, that sort of sounds over the over the, over the town. I'm not sure, uh, but it's it's definitely um, if you were looking, if you were like, boy, I'll bet a digital adaptation can really. Did, did our game just die? Are you kidding me? Just when something... I was just doing my only big move of the game. It's safe. It's, it's like fine. Network it's, it's fine. It might be... We might have to come back to tomorrow uh, or something. servers might, might be down. Oh, um, darn. I, <laughs> well, I guess we are finishing the, the podcast. thing I've ever done in this dumb game, and it cut out on me. <laughs> Screw this game. So, but if, if you... <laughs> If you were sort of thinking, like, boy, I'll bet a digital adaptation of uh, Lords of Waterdeep can really layer on the theme, uh, nah, maybe not so much. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not in this in this particular case. Uh, but yeah, it looks like it looks like our watch has ended. Oh, that's disappointing. You know what? Well, what was your big move, Fraser? How are you going to... Well, okay, so I had a car, a Skullduggery card, which I'd been saving up for, and it gave me uh, 12 victory points and 12 tokens of my choosing. What? What? That's, yes. That's a pretty big card. That's a nice and card. By, and the thing is, that would have actually allowed me to clear off all of my quests. Holy hell. Now I'm really upset I didn't get to see that. That would have been yeah, Fraser's finest that's hour. Like the, the only time I was thinking this might actually be fun. <laughs> was it expensive? Was it hard to play? Um, it wasn't that hard to play. It was certainly harder to play than your average 12 victory point one because of the the other benefits. But there was a 10 gold cost, though. So I got that's a bunch of two victory point ones that I can't get rid of because of... <laughs> Full of stupid people doing stupid things. But yeah, the, the gold cost was quite high. Ah, um, yes. But I'd been actually, I, I had all the gold I needed. So, because uh, that was a problem we had last time we played was that we were all cash poor. Uh, well, so, and that was the interesting thing, right? Like, we got rid of corruption, and for a while the game felt way more uninhibited. And then it was like, oh man, there's no money left on this board. I, I think that's a, that's a really good thematic statement by the creators of Lord of Waterdeep. A, a a political critique uh, yes. for our time. Uh, it's it's pretty brilliant. Uh, all right. So overall, like where I'm at is I enjoy Lords of Waterdeep. This is pretty much what I'd want and expect from a digital adaptation. I think the pace of play thing is definitely an issue. It could it could help that out. It could help it could help players out a lot more with understanding what's happening in the game. But overall, like. If this is a game you like, this is a pretty good, fun, bite-sized format for it. And, you know, it's allowed me to hang out with my friends and bullshit online uh, several times in the last week. So I'm getting what I want. Uh, I'm, I'm curious where the rest of you where the rest of you are at. You call us friends. That's nice. I want Waterdeep <laughs> to burn to the ground. 
I'm just going to set fire to it. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, I, I mean, I actually, to, to do this, uh, to play this game and to record this episode, I actually had to reinstall it because after the last match, I was just like, it's it's off Steam, it's done. I never want to see this thing again. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but what if you played Lords of Waterdeep but Rowan hadn't been a dick to you for two hours about Game of Thrones <laughs> and the Total War series. What if? Well, I would have still. I wouldn't have enjoyed it, but I would have felt better about myself. My self-esteem okay. would have taken a battering, I think. Uh, but it would have still sucked. But Rowan <laughs> still won the game. Yeah, that that happened too. Rowan Rowan is undefeated. Uh, he's, in... he's so modest as well. That's what I like about him. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Troy, Troy, where are you at with this? Lords of Waterdeep is a fine game. It's not one of my favorites, but it's one that I won't mind playing. People drag it out. It's, you know, it's a good conversational game. This adaptation, um, it's not something I'm going to become geeking out to play against uh, the AI. It's not like Twilight Struggle I bring out every now and then. It's a game I want to get good at. I want to be good at Twilight Struggle. So that's a game you can get good at. I don't think you could ever be good at Lords of Waterdeep unless you're some, you know, savant like Rowan uh, so it's not that I'm going to necessarily be going to be playing against the AI a lot I think um, the adaptations very direct except for the noise um, and the UI quirks it's a fine adaptation if you it's it's the board game it's what it is uh, but I if, you know if, if you guys want to play again some night online you know it's a weekend you want to throw together a Lords of Waterdeep and just shoot the bull about what's going on. It's a fine game for that. It's be better to do in person. Yeah, I, I think that's where I've come down on the uh, port video game Steam version is that if if I am, you know, able to get in a Discord or a Skype or whatever and actually talk to people and maybe there's something going on that I can pay attention to or whatever that helps through the lulls, this game is a pretty good time. Um, but if I don't have people to talk to or if I'm trying to play this just as a game, especially if it were against people without being able to talk to them directly. I mean, there is a chat window in the game, but uh, if I were actually just having to wait for someone that I couldn't yell at on the microphone, uh, I think this game would lose a lot of its charm in a hurry. Um, and I don't think there's any way around that. I think that's just what Lord of Waterdeep is as a game. It, it takes a long time. There are a lot of little little turns that are cumulative instead of big turns that will change things and you're dramatically looking forward to them and so on um one thing that i do like about it is that it is pretty newcomer friendly like i i did i was able to figure out what was going on within a few turns to the point where i could come back and win um and i don't think that's because i am a savant i think it's because i got a pretty good luck of the draw for a newcomer that uh helped me you know kind of get past whatever mistakes I made it might have made initially. No. You're too you're too modest, Rowan. You, I, I know, I know. You are the true lord of Waterdeep. <laughs> and we are all but serfs toiling on your manor. Um, and the very I will least say, you're the Lord of Waterdeep of my heart, Rowan. 
at the Aww. very least. <laughs> I, I will let you know what my secret was. I just bombarded you guys with intrigue cards from the harbor, the both games. Um, yeah, that's definitely what I was doing with this game because it occurred to me after you said that that like, oh, the name of the game is like taking lots of actions, and overall, if you can get extra actions and extra effects, then you'll probably be ahead the, uh, ahead of the curve. Um, so I was like, I was just gonna rip off Rowan's strategy and, and hit the harbor a lot more and hit the cards a lot harder yeah, and i You're was trying to do that this game but i didn't run. necessarily have very good entry cards i got a bunch of those ones that are like pay this to one player and get victory points which at the end of the game will be good but they don't do you a whole lot of good early on so um it, it might not be the world's greatest strategy every time but it worked really well for me both both of those games that i did win um so who knows? Maybe the game is perfectly balanced, or maybe it is just use the harbor all the time. All right. I'll never know because I just uninstalled it again. <laughs> crazy. We're in the middle of a game. This series can come up like any minute now. Like, damn it. Oh, you're trash. All right. Well, that will do it. That'll do it for this week, and apparently that will do it for that uh that game I invested the last 90 minutes in. Uh we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. You know, if Fraser just flipped over a board, people would have at least like <laughs> acted like it was a faux pas. He would have had the grace to look ashamed if he just like overturned a game board because he didn't like it anymore. Like, for, like even Fraser Brown wouldn't do that at a party, but for some reason, because it's a digital board game, he can just be like, "Yeah, I just uninstalled it." What? <laughs> yeah, but it, it would take like five minutes for him to download again. It's like two hundred like two seconds. That's true. Three hundred bags. I, I I'll install it if you guys really want to finish off the game. It's late. Yeah, but I did actually uninstall it because I take that very seriously. <laughs> All right. Well, Three Rows Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes, who I hope has a good time at KnobCon this weekend. <laughs> and I will leave the listener's imagination to contemplate what? that phrase. Uh, and Three Rows Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show. And believe me, there's no Idle Thumbs at KnobCon. Uh, you can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at 3 or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, 3 is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. We'll be back next week with another episode of 3 Ahead. Until then, for Troy, Fraser, and Rowan, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. God damn it. Fucked my plans up quite badly. Yeah. Not the sort of friendship I expect from you, Rob Zachney. Yeah, I, I sort of I've lost my momentum, unfortunately. Because <laughs> I just realised that like for like, the last <coughs> round, I haven't actually been paying attention to the game like at all. I've totally just zoned out of it. God damn it, Rowan. You know what this game is about, Fraser? Being just really bored all the time. <laughs> Friendship. I I thought that at first, but I I now disagree. Ah, <laughs> oh, 
right now I'm gonna fucking finally uninstall it. Yeah, fuck this game. <laughs> it's so bad. Fuck this. Fuck you. Middle. Fuck you. Yeah, fuck you too, Troy. Thank <laughs> you.